I got a really unusual phone call from the spokesperson for ACS. She said to me, we need your help. We found a girl in Middle Village, Queens, wandering the streets at 1 a.m. in her pajamas and bare feet. What does it take to get a more in-depth look into the week's top local news story? The Debrief brings you inside for a one-on-one -on -one conversation with our reporters. Every week, right here, right now. The Debrief. Brought to you by Hackensack Meridian Health. Visit our partner site, NBCNewYork.com slash HealthU, to help you on your health journey. Hackensack Meridian Health, life years ahead. Hey everybody, this is David Ushery, an anchor at NBC4 New York, coming to you from our newsroom at 30 Rock. And we have got quite the story for you. It's 14 years really in the making. It started in a tragic way, but it now has a chapter full of promise and hope. Melissa Russo is joining us, our government affairs reporter, part of our I-team, and just just someone extraordinary. That's what I say about <laughs> Melissa. I'm a big fan of yours. I feel the same way about you, Dave. Take us first to 2005, how this got on your radar screen. 2005, I'm sitting at my desk here in our newsroom, and the phone rings. It's a spokesperson for ACS, the Administration for Children's Services. And just to point out, this is an agency you have covered for a long time. Right. Even it, then, years even ago. Then, I'm, I'm yeah. dating myself here, right. but, <laughs> but even then I had been covering ACS for years, yeah. and this is an example of how covering a beat and those relationships can really pay off for, yeah. for a journalist. I got a really unusual phone call from the spokesperson for ACS. She said to me, we need your help with a story. Now you know this, David, usually it's the other way around. That's right. I'm asking ACS for help with a story. Right. But this time it was the other way. They said, we have the most unusual situation and you know better than anyone that this is not something we ordinarily do. We found a girl, the police were called, four-year-old girl was found in Middle Village, Queens, wandering the streets at 1 a.m. in her pajamas and bare feet. She said she was left there by her mother's boyfriend, a man she called Daddy. I got lost and when I was sleeping, he took me in the car and he took me outside with no shoes. We know her name. Can you tell us your name? But she can't give us identifying information about where she lives, how to find her mom. We were convinced that a frantic parent would come forward to report this child kidnapped. She's a lovely, well-cared-for girl, and it's been days, and we have no leads, so we're desperate. And we don't want to subject this child to a press conference. So what we would like to do is to have you bring a camera or two into the foster care agency in Queens where this little girl is being supervised. And we want you to ask her some questions and put her on television. Eventually you'll have to share the tape with your colleagues at other stations right. uh, because we want maximum help finding her. But right. you'll be the reporter to come in and sit down. Something we do from girl. time to time, pool a report. But sure. You, but you would uh, Sure, and we had no objection to doing right. that, of course. We, the priority was identifying Fine. this little girl. Sure. So of course this is the kind of story you run out the door. <laughs> we, we, we ran out there. You remember it? Is it still vivid for you 14 years this later? This is a story that I would say probably top three stories that has really stood out for me in my heart, in my mind. Which I is get, extraordinary because you have a wide body of work. I'm not just blowing I, I do. Smoke. I've done a lot of yeah. 
compelling right. stories, exactly. and it's nothing, you know, it's just not that any of them aren't completely compelling, but this one really. The emotions of that day. This one, yeah. So take me through it. You so go, we you walk into up. the, we walk into the little flower foster care agency in Queens, and we bring our cameras, and there she is, this little girl with pigtails. Um, she's beautiful. Uh, tiny, she's holding a little white teddy bear. I get emotional, you could hear it, even just Understand. talking about it. Yeah. Um, they've given her a teddy bear, they've, um, you know, they've done their best to keep her calm. Uh, she just wants to know where her mommy is. Mm -hmm. But even under so much stress and in such an unusual situation, faced with strangers. Lights, Asking camera. her questions, lights, yeah. cameras. She was composed and charming and sweet and smiling, and we asked her to describe her mother in a moment that I think just really killed all of us. Yeah. We asked her, what does your mommy look like? She looks like a princess. Oh. And I sat, I sat down on the floor with Valerie, because I remember thinking it must be really overwhelming. We're all standing here looking at her. We, we sat down on the floor, we tried to get her comfortable, I asked her questions like, where do you go to school? And she said, daycare. Um, she didn't know the name of her school. She didn't know her address. She knew her name and she could pronounce her last name but not spell it. She couldn't say what neighborhood she lived in and there were just no leads. It was a dead end. Um, of course, we blew out the A block of our newscast that night. <laughs> the and, first section, yes. And people actually, the Times wrote a story at the time about how, how we had let this tape just play because right. it was so compelling. Right. Nobody could believe that this child hadn't been claimed. Right. So within hours of our running that story in our newscast, there were 100 phone calls to the NYPD. There were. 100 phone calls. They quickly figured out where she went to school, who her neighbors were, who the mom was. So the information did come in. Now so there was a break in right. the case, but unfortunately it was not the break that any of us had hoped for for this little girl. And as you can imagine, how invested, you know, I don't usually, I, you try not to get too emotionally invested. You have of to course ha you stay do, detached to, to get it, the job done, do, but this but, is hard. But, you know, it wasn't just, you know, me as a reporter feeling invested. The whole city felt invested. The and I just want to point out, Melissa is tearing up as she's telling us <laughs> the story, as is it's the true. entire debrief staff here. It is so emotional. I spent a lot of time tearing up in the past week, but in a good way. Yeah. Um, that was in, back in 2005. It was not a happy time. The detectives quickly became really gravely concerned about the safety of her mother. Um, her mother's boyfriend came forward and ended up um, confessing to having strangled Valerie's mom. Valerie's mother was found in a landfill in Pennsylvania, a place where New York City trash was sent. The body found in a Pennsylvania landfill. Police say her boyfriend, Cesar Ascaruns, confessed to strangling the 26-year-old woman. Four year old Valerie has been told about her mother's death. And Valerie was told that her mommy wasn't coming home. Take me back to your your emotions. And we were all watching it together. We were all watching, we were all watching the chopper video as they searched this landfill. And it was just, it was so sad. You know, we just knew that this little girl was going to get bad news. Mm. She seemed too well cared for to be abandoned. Right. She had talked about how, you know, she had manicures. Her mom gave her manicures. She made her dinner every night, um, but never with pickles because mommy knows she didn't like pickles. Mm -hmm. And she would leave for a restaurant, a job in a restaurant every night. Um, so you have a routine. We kind of knew this was not a covering child, child welfare stories. You know, when a yeah, kid she, is coming from a kind of a neglected background, yeah, and you she got wasn't. None of that off. She made eye contact. She wasn't shy. She was very comfortable around grown-ups. All of the above. It was, you know, mm. you could just tell. 
So, you know, there you have it. And then there was a there was a custody battle, which we covered for some time. She had relatives um, on both sides of her family, both in the U.S. and in Bolivia, where she was from. And I should mention that Valerie was undocumented. We reported that at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, this case went to Queen's Family Court. Uh, and ultimately, I got another phone call from ACS, somebody there very, who had also become very invested in Valerie's story, calling me um, months later and and crying on the phone because the judge had made a decision to send Valerie back to Bolivia to live with her maternal grandmother. But 14 years later, yes, I got another phone call. Yeah, t bring us four. That, that I want to draw that out. How's this I end say, up back? I, I have to say, I, I I wish I had done this myself, but our colleagues at Telemundo uh -huh. tracked down Valerie in Bolivia. Well, and we have a partnership, obviously. We have a part, our, our, yes. Do you know what put it on their radar screen? They just kind of looked I at I think a um, the reporter, uh, Yolanda Rivera, yeah. just remembered the story. Something okay. reminded her of it. Uh -huh. um, and she found uh, Valerie. She's 18 years old now. Right. So then you get a call. Tell me about the call you get. I, I get an email saying we are uh, we are in Bolivia to interview, or we're heading to Bolivia we're to interview Valerie. Wow. And uh, I could not believe it. Wow. I was just like, oh my goodness. First of all, how did I not think of doing this myself, of well, course, but also just such curiosity. I'd always wondered, including maybe within a month of that email, it wondering how Valor Valerie this was doing. This is a story that from time to time would cross your mind. It would cross our mind. You know, I remember thinking that with the Elian Gonzalez story, you know, Correct. whatever happened yeah. to him, you cover these stories and there's always something pressing that you're focusing on. It's so hard to just, you know, yeah. to, to go back. But when you have that opportunity, and I will say that I always felt like my initial role in the story and our role as a station was to try to help Valerie. Um, and that's always a great thing when you can try to use your your medium, yeah. your, your your news station. As to, stakeholders to in the community. And we yeah. had so helped that our involvement back in 2005 would help, and it didn't, and it was so deflating. Yeah. And um, and so now to have the opportunity yeah. to be able to help her today was just I something know. I didn't I expect know. to have. So now they're able to put you in touch with her. Right. So uh, I got on the phone with Valerie 14 years later, and I said, Valerie, you probably don't know this, but I was, I don't know if you even remember this, right, but I was the reporter who sat on the floor and interviewed you, and she said she did remember. She remembered cameras. She remembered just wanting her mom. Mm -hmm. She remembered that night when she was left on the street. I mean, that's seared in her memory, as you can imagine, a trauma like that. Absolutely. I was scared. I was cold. I really just wanted to see my mom again. It was especially cruel. Her mother's boyfriend had told her that if she got out of the car, he had taken her from her apartment in the middle of the night and um, took her out of the car and just said, go knock on the doors. That's where she was asking for mommy. Go knock on the doors up the block. That's where you'll find your mommy. Oh so she went wandering up the street. She remembers that feeling of panic. Um, but she's so positive today. And that's what really is so special about having been able to revisit this is, yeah. is her positivity and her outlook and the fact that she's forever changed by this experience, but she's moved forward. She doesn't want to stay in the past. I think that bad things happen to good people, to great people, and they just make them better. And to know that the decision to send her back to Bolivia was not, was not a bad decision. Um, it's great when you can look back and see, you know, was, was, this, was this good? Did this really work? She says her grandmother taught her about her roots, taught her about where she came from. It was her mother's mother who her raised her, right, so there was that connection over the loss of her mother. Mm. 
They visit her grave. Um, she's taught her to be strong. She knows her roots. Um, and she's a great student and a phenomenal artist. Wow. Phenomenally talented. And you end up in a position to help a bit. I asked her, why did you decide to sit down and do this today? And she said, well, there, there are two things. One, I have questions about immigration because I want to come back to the United States because I still consider it my home. Mm. I want to come back and study in the United States. I want to go to college there. And, and her English is perfect, Beautiful, perfect English. She's lovely and smart. Mm -hmm. And she says she wants to attend college here and she wants to study forensic medicine, which is not a coincidence. Right, oh, given what happened. Given what happened to her mother. And she said that's the first thing. She's gonna need to figure out how to get back here. It's not easy to get a visa from Bolivia. And then the second thing is, she said that she wanted some help tracking down funds that everyone seems to remember were raised for her at the time when everyone was feeling so much compassion for her in 2005, but her grandmother was only given one check for $2,100, and they think there was more money there. And we've started to look into this a little bit. Um, there's some suspicion within the family about a relative or who might have, but we haven't been able to find, so far at least, anything okay. that would confirm any, any wrongdoing with regard to this. Um, but, but, but the good news is that after seeing our story, there's an organization that I already had a connection to called New Yorkers for Children. It was founded by Nick Scapetta, the first commissioner of ACS, yeah. and it was set up to meet the unmet needs of children who've been traumatized, who've been in foster care. And one of their main roles is to raise private dollars to send children in f who've lived through foster care to college. Because these are kids who, you know, growing up in the New York City foster care system, of they course. don't have parents. Tough challenge. We know yeah. how hard it is to get our kids off to school. They don't have that support. And so it really fits within their mission. So the happy ending to this story is that New Yorkers for Children has done two things. One, they've set up a, a scholarship fund for Valerie. Mm -hmm. So anyone listening who wants to, to pitch in towards Valerie's education and fulfilling her dreams. Um, it's New Yorkers for Children. They've set up a special button on their homepage. It's called the Valerie Fund. And the other thing they're doing is they're considering Valerie for one of the scholarships that they regularly give out every year. When I saw a young child that had gone through this incredible trauma and that she came out on top, I said, I, we can definitely help her. And so there's a pretty good chance that she might. Um, now would that support her if she went to university in Bolivia, or would it have to you'd have to their fix scholarship the immigration. would not. So you'd we'd, have to address. We'd have to address the, the, the question of a student visa. Student visa. And you know what? The, that's not something that we can really help her with. But what right. we have done is reconnected her with the attorneys at Legal Aid who represented her as a child. And what was their reaction? <laughs> you know, um, they, yeah, well, just... you know, some of the newer people there yeah. weren't even around when right, this happened. But her lawyer, we did, we did speak with her lawyer, who's okay. now practicing in Boston, and she's offered to help. No, there is no one who had any involvement in this story anywhere who does not want to remember yeah. that moment, that story, and want to do whatever they can to help. So that's pretty, that's pretty great. Well, you know, sometimes we'll tell you when you listen to the podcast, do go to NBCNewYork.com and look at the pieces that Melissa put together because uh, even hardened veteran journalists have a moment. And I've got to get tissue for the debrief podcast staff. I need two or three boxes now. Melissa, thank you. Great work as always. Thank you, David. It's a pleasure to be with you. I'm your host, David Ushery. We want to thank our crying producers, Nick Bain, <laughs> Jesse Edwards, Ben Berkowitz from the NBC New York digital team. We'll see you next time on The Debrief.